Welcome to episode two of the Word of the Witnesses, a 12 Monkeys rewatch pod. I am Cece, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Beep. Hey. And we are doing our first listener feedback mini pod. We asked just sort of to kick off the discussion within the fandom, your favorite moment of the series and why. Um, But we made you exclude the series finale, which many people were maybe a little bit grumpy about, but it's so amazing. (laughs) We wanted you all to reach back throughout the series and pick another favorite moment. So we are so overwhelmed, first of all, just by your wonderful response to our first podcast. Um, We really appreciate all the positive feedback so much. We had so much fun doing it and we're looking forward to getting all the way through the whole series and discussing with you all. And we heard such wonderful responses from uh, voice recordings and email and Twitter. There was just so much passion and so much thoughtfulness in your responses of your favorite moments of the series. We can't wait to share it with you guys. Um, We are actually going to go first with ours. So BP, why don't you kick it off? What is your favorite moment from 12 Monkeys? All right, I had to think about this, but I did not have to think about it too hard. And I was really glad that when we went through these, uh, I mean, there's just so many different responses. I was glad that they're varied. First of all, and then I was glad that no one. Took yeah, one. there's so many different. I mean, and and it's as we go through them, it's to me, it's a testament of how this show just has so many different strengths because some of them are like the big dramatic, oh my god, um, kind of drop the mic um, reveals. Others are really emotionally, you know, like the emotionally intense scenes. The other ones, uh, other people's favorites, are just sort of like something that was really funny or absurd. And so I think sort of going through everyone's moments, it just gives you like a really great snapshot of the series and all the different kind of standout moments. Especially because when I read them, I was never looking and being like, that was your favorite moment. That's so funny. (laughs) I was like, oh, I love that one too. There's so many. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think there's going to be a lot of, oh my God, me too. (laughs) As we go through these. That's what I was thinking when I read them. I was like, ooh, good one. Okay, so mine, my favorite uh, moment is a Jennifer Goins moment, which people may not know now, but will never be surprised by by the end of this show. So it's my favorite scene kind of in her general introduction. It's also my favorite callback of the whole series. And it's when she's in the hallway with Cole in episode 102, Mentally Divergent, And she's looking at her pills and she says, reds and blues, primary, give me yellow, I could paint you the world. And. It's crazy. (laughs) I I like, I'm like, I'm so, I just get excited even thinking about that scene. Yeah. It's my favorite callback of the entire series. I, I think that. Initially, it was just such kind of a randomly placed moment. It sounds like this person who's just, you know, speaking crazy talk. And in some some ways it was, but I'm going to go, I think, a little bit deeper than the moment probably ever even uh, meant to be. But tying it from the beginning to the end, I'm just going to kind of tell you what it like what it meant to me. So Jennifer is a genius and Jennifer is also insane. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. I think in her case, they they, uh, kind of just go right alongside each other. But the thing I think is really cool, if you contextualize that line um, in the totality of her character progression, is that Jennifer is so pivotal. Her her role is so key to absolutely everything that happens 
in this show and in this story. And yet she's kind of off to the side a lot, kind of ignored a lot. If you understood what she was saying, she tells the story from the first time she's on screen. Everything she says throughout you know, throughout the show has meaning. There's not one single thing that comes out of her mouth, besides maybe just a funny line here or there, that does not give you a piece of this show's mythology. But here's what I think is cool about this line, and here's where I'm reading some of my own uh, things into it. She just needs a little help. She needs a little push. She's got most of the pieces in place, right? So in, in the literal sense in here, like she's got red and she's got blue, like just give her yellow. And she'll give you everything. She will literally paint the world for you. And I think that Jennifer's such a good example of someone who has been conditioned to not believe in herself. So someone who has, you know, incredibly low self-esteem that's always been, that's been reinforced throughout her life. So the idea that we see her, you know, come in and grow as a character, she's not appreciated for the longest time. It's not until, you know, season three when Cole goes to find her, and she's been doing the plays and Je Splinter in, uh, <laughs> in France, that she finally has to acknowledge, like, you guys just keep, you know, you when you want something, you come to me, and it's always Jennifer, Jennifer, like, but I have value and I have worth too. And it's not until she kind of steps up and, you know, and embodies that role and embodies her own kind of talents that she's able to go on that journey where she gets almost all the way there by herself, but she just needs that little push. And when she has those, you know, friends and people surrounding her, she can really be like everything that Jennifer Goins is meant to be. And that is the key to everything. Yeah, no, that's, I, I love the way you put that. It really, it, 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 her journey is so moving from that perspective of just, you know, it, it's a journey of finding your, your self-worth. And in part, what I love about it is because it is neither solitary or because of other people, but it's both. Right. So, you know, I love, you know, as much as I love all of the friendships on the show, I love the friendship between Jennifer and Cole because in different time periods, they are almost like each other's mentor, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or the person who is there to kind of help you along the way. And so early on, and, you know, next week we'll be talking about when Cole and Jennifer first meet Cole is, even if he is often, and like I was as a viewer confounded by her, he, one of the things that sets Cole apart from the other characters is even if he doesn't understand her, he listens um, and he doesn't dismiss her. And that just grows and grows and grows. But also it is, in addition to that, she learns to both partly because of people like Cole or people like Deacon, you know, saying to her when she's a child, like your dad's an asshole, (laughs) you know, basically like this isn't you. (laughs) But she also finds that strength from within and learns to also stand up for herself because, you know, it's also realistic. You can have really, really good friends. It doesn't mean that that the relationship people are always treating you that the way that they should. And so when she pushes back, sort of goes along that journey, it's just, it's just a wonderful journey. And the one thing I love that you pointed out to me, Beep, is that when you go back and watch the show, you realize that like the other main characters, we didn't know how to listen to the primaries either. 
Right. Um, and so when you go back and what sounded like, you know, just random gibberish when you were watching it on your first initial viewing, when you go back and you know what to listen for, it, there are things that the primary say and Jennifer in particular that will just bowl you over. I mean, even in season one. Yeah. Jennifer is our primary primary. (laughs) So she's how we understand them. But I think too, because she didn't understand what she was. That's where a lot of like that mania and kind of, you know, the crazy aspect comes from the way that I boil down her arc. And I like to think of it is, I mean, Jennifer, Jennifer is characterized most by her ability to slash the curse she kind of holds of of hearing voices. And so I think that actually that embodies her whole arc, though, because it's her journey that allows her to determine which voices to listen to while also finding her own. Mm-hmm. So Jennifer's journey is just all about voices. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, so mine, which also, as people listen, will not come as a surprise to them as time goes on. So even though it is really difficult to choose a particular favorite scene, for me, that also, and and it's funny because nobody else chose this scene. So we both didn't have any overlap. Yay. Um, So my favorite scene is from Blood Washed Away. And it is the last maybe 15 minutes or so of the episode at the House of Cedar and Pine. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The first is when Cassie is walking up to the house and you realize basically maybe everybody's kind of universal reaction sitting at home was, holy shit, it's the <laughs> house from the visions. And you realize, oh my God, this goes all the way back to season one. That moment of, wow, this show is not the show's not fucking around. This is, they knew what they were doing and the mythology, it just blew it all open that this was, you know, there were hints along the way that this was a lot more than just the plague, but it, it just coming all together and, and realizing and almost sort of the viewers being in Cassie's shoes of, wait a second, we've heard this all before, but why is this happening now? What does this mean? Um, And just, the images that we had gotten so used to as part of those visions with the tea and seeing it in front of you, it was just like, I was just floored. Yep. And I think there are, you know, there are a lot of moments along the way, you know, obviously lullaby blew me away. And I realized that this show was going to be something really special, but this scene and just the way it was shot, the cinematography, I mean, it just looked like a film. It was just beautiful. And second of all, I, listen, I am a huge romantic and Cassie (laughs) and Cole, which everyone will, (laughs) as they, as they listen to us, will get to know, but Cassie and Cole are pretty much like my favorite TV romantic couple, like of all time. Cause they stuck the landing. (laughs) Oh man, they stuck the landing, right? Like, and it was about more than just them getting together. So there have been a lot of amazing slow burns on TV and I never, you know, in the words of Logan Eccles, I don't, I don't usually love the ones that come easy, but um, <laughs> they did the slow burn, the epic and the star-crossed lovers and all of those things that are, you know, some of my favorite romances like in film and television. But once they got together, like once they kind of like after this episode, yes, they were separating. Yes, there were challenges, but they, the show just never went down the kind of what I feel like what happens in TV all the time where they finally do the will they or won't they and then they get them together and then they just have to like invent like love triangles or obstacles Mm -hmm. to like keep them apart. No, it was about things that adult 
couples have to deal with in real life, like having a disagreement over principles or what is your next course of action in your lives or your children um, and nurture versus nature and um, or losing the person you're going to love. All of them, of course, heightened and crazy because of the story of the show. But when you boil them down to their essence, adult. Um, and the question as to whether they love each other is never what the, what the show is making the drama out of. So right. that's really rare. It, it's really rare. And so, but this particular scene is my favorite kind of scene where you've had a slow, like simmering tension that goes on for her. In some ways, the conversation they end up having has been going on since season one. Yeah. Who, what is Cole's fault? What is Cassie's agency? Um, and it's my favorite kind of, I call them like emotional car crash scenes where <laughs> finally everyone is like, you've had these little side conversations, but nothing's really blown it up and it just blows up and people scream at each other and say those uncomfortable things that they haven't said. And then they make out and it's the best. <laughs> My favorite kind of like TV trope is the emotional car crash. And then it ends up with people making out. We are going to go ahead and we're going to play our first recording, which is from Alicia, um, who will be joining us on the pod um, later on. And she goes by series station, which is a shout out, of course, to the expanse, another great sci-fi show on Twitter. I was there when you lost your father. I was there when you found your brother and I'll be there at the end at the airport. Hi friends, this is Alicia. I just saw this scene again and as usual, I am wrecked. So you asked this week what our favorite moment in the entire series of 12 Monkeys, save for the finale was. And for me, it is undoubtedly this quiet scene between Cole Jones and Hannah in One Minute More. So Hannah's story and letter and everything that happens in this episode and leading up to it, it's, everything is a lot. <laughs> and one day, maybe I'll try and pull myself to uh, think about that in a way that makes sense. But for me, this scene in particular is just such a huge standout. So first, this scene happens right before the series finale. And the the fact that we have these these really quiet but extremely poignant scenes right before the finale. And honestly, there are a bunch in the finale as well. It just, it goes to show the quality of the show and and how in all of this time travel plot, it's created these enormous sweeping emotional arcs for its characters. It's just amazing. And then for the specifics of this scene, um, Again, everything is a lot. <laughs> Hannah already knowing what she's going to do um, without even really having to think about it. Jones not wanting to say goodbye. Cole learning that he was never really alone, that she was always watching over him. Um, if you just, if you look at the details in the scene, just the, the way that it's shot, every second feels like it just stands still and it lasts forever. And, and you want it to last forever for their sake. Um, I mean, the last thing that Cole says in, in that moment is, there's still time. And you know that there isn't in this exact moment. And it's so upsetting for the exact reason that the, the scene really does feel like it's standing still. I, I remember when I first watched it, I had to take a break. I cried so much. I was just sobbing. I texted my mom and I told her that I loved her and, and I, I couldn't get past it for a long time. I had essentially binged almost all of season four and I had to stop in this moment and just walk it off. 
Um, I, I think it's, it's the quietness and, and the sadness and the peace of this scene, which is just somehow overwhelming in a different quiet way. And, and, um, the details, like I said, so, um, earlier in the episode, Cole is angry about his mom leaving and he takes this like really angry gulp of whiskey. And in the last scene, in this scene, it's the same drink, the same glasses, I'm pretty sure, but all of the focus is at how much love there is in, in this drink and drinking together with his family. Um, so Cole pours it first and then, Jones's hand shakes and so Hannah takes it and pours it for her and then pours a drink for herself and then there's just this moment where they're just quietly sitting in each other's presence and it's the most familial loving moment between really three people that have been around each other a lot in this show but but this moment it it feels so different and it it feels so important and you just want it to last forever and I'm never going to get over it, so I'm just going to stop talking now. So my favorite scene in the entire series is Hannah, Cole, and Jones share a drink. Ah, uh, Alicia, you expressed that so beautifully. Um, it is such a special scene, and and you're absolutely right. I don't know if a lot of other television shows that were sort of hurtling towards their series finale would have taken the time for such a quiet um subtle. You know, a lot of that scene, some of it is about what's said, but some of it is just about what's unsaid with the three generations just sitting in that room for what they think will be, you know, the only and last time knowing what they mean to each other. Um, And I loved that observation about how subtle that was in the performance about Cole kind of angrily gulping the whiskey when he was talking to Hannah before and was kind of you know, expressing his anger about his mother abandoning him, but then the contrast to them calmly sharing the drink as this sort of communal, almost like ritual together. Um, And I love that the, you know, the show moved you to call your mom, you know, text your mom and tell her that you loved her. I mean, I did the same after that scene. I mean, that's, I think that's a sign of art being really powerful. Um, I'm making you think about your own relationships and, and, kind of, you know, the theme of the show and living in the moment and appreciating what you have in the moment. Let's see, from Twitter, at Liz Sassman, she replied that her favorite moment uh, was Jennifer's plays. Yeah, I mean, I know that's a favorite of ours, too. It's something that we talk about amongst uh, some of our crew. Um, it was very creative. They are all so meta. It, it basically lays the groundwork to assume that that's where so many of, you know, the classic movies came from because in you know 1920s France Jennifer was doing Jaws and E.T. Um, I know that even though Alicia tried to say that her favorite moment there was from uh, One Minute More her favorite line of the entire series is Je Splinter (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't believe she didn't just like randomly say that in the middle of her recording (laughs) but yeah I love that too and everyone's at the end is just looking around and the guy's like you know nobody understands this time thing like do space or magic and i think at that point that was a call out to um the expanse and the magicians oh my gosh it makes me laugh so yeah yeah it sounded like it was (laughs) basically like maybe an inside joke about some notes they got from network from like making a pitch and nobody gets a time travel show um (laughs) i even like we were watching the magicians last night and i actually that line made me think i just paused when i saw like the sci-fi logo and i just started like 
chuckling like yep everybody loves magic like it's just, oh, the yeah. magicians is so good season three was incredible all right so our next uh favorite moment mj lupin 22 on twitter and this actually is from the same episode i love the scene where jennifer finishes her play and cole comes in clapping the second time and says we need you i need you um they just have a sweet friendship and yeah, I think we mentioned a little bit before at the top, but I think that's one of the things that sets to show apart is it makes the time for friends to talk out loud about their the things that are bothering them or the things that they resent and and air that out and say out loud to each other what they mean to each other. And that moment was a long time coming because Jennifer has, you know, she's bailed them out a lot um, yeah. and and vice versa. I mean, they they all have for each other, but that was just, that scene is just really, I got a little choked up. I mean, particularly when you go back and rewatch it, it's just really moving scene. And, and it's a big turning point because after that, once Jennifer's back at the facility, she and Cole have that really great conversation where basically he's like, you know, this is, this is up to you, whether you join us and her joy at both having that agency and being welcomed and valued is just, Mm -hmm. it's a lot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it shows the difference too of um because I mean I know we spoke on the first episode about Cassie exerting her agency and her boundaries in the pilot. You know, mm-hmm. she stood up immediately and was like, No, I deserve answers and you're not gonna do this and you know, those sorts of things. But Jennifer this is like really the first time she does it. This yeah. is, you know, she's been around for two full seasons and this is her line where she's, you know, and at this point, yes, she has been um displaced in time. But she's also had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to kind of excel and become her own person because she had to. She had nobody else that she could depend on. And now she's like, wait a minute, you know, I cared about you guys and I have given and I have done. And like, until I realize that this is going to be reciprocal, like we're done here. Well, yeah. And the idea that you were stranded and all you were hoping for is for your friends to come and find you. Um and then they they find you and <laughs> I mean Jones and Cole. It's rough. It's rough watching yeah. it. You know, they're just like, okay, this is what we need. And where is Cassie? And De- and you would just be it. It all. The show took the time to actually. You totally understood what where Cole's and Jones were coming from and their perspective. You know, they haven't been in a bubble by themselves. They are aware of what's been going on and trying to find people and and that kind of crashing when you separate characters you have to give them the time when they come back together to let those different points of view that have developed during the separation crash into each other and have those conflicts out loud especially when it's such a different time frame i mean she's been stuck there for 3 years while as you know they've just been a couple months maybe looking for Cassie and doing all their stuff i mean she's she's been there for over 3 years right at this point which you forget yeah yeah, because you're like, it's been 20 minutes for me. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, she's been writing postcards, otherwise, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so our next favorite scene is Liz Thurman from Twitter. Jennifer stabbing Olivia in bodies of water because it's a moment of, of overcoming her past trauma and reclaiming her own life. So Beep, I know you are, are Je- I love Jennifer, but e- even more, Je- you love Jennifer even more. So I'll let you speak to that. I do. I love, I love that whole episode. 
And I do love that scene. And so actually, I have to take back what I just said a moment ago about it was being the first time that Jennifer stood up for herself, because obviously that was a lie. I think it was it was still the first time amongst like our crowd and our crew. Nope, just lying. I'm going to cut some of that shit out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, Olivia has been grooming her. There's no other way to look at it. I mean, uh, Olivia has essentially kidnapped her, even though, you know, at this point, Jennifer is there of her own will or was until she left Monkey Mansion. She had a bit of Stockholm Syndrome for a while, I think. And so for her to go, like Jennifer, or, sorry, Olivia is, is a physical manifestation of all of the other physical manifestations that she failed to stop, which is her mother and her father and all these people who have constantly told her, you know, she's crazy. These doctors that were paid off by her dad to keep her in a mental facility, you know, and so Olivia is the one that, um, I mean, literally catches the brunt of all of that. And she's just like, I'm, I'm so super done with you. And that whole episode is amazing, though, because there's so much mythology I know in the room when they go to um, Jennifer's room. It's Cassie and Jennifer's uh, road trip, which mm-hmm. I love. It's where Jennifer sees the word of the witness for the first time, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Best Buy 2044. <laughs> yep. But that scene also, I mean, I love it. It's so it is so important for Jennifer. But what is I also love about it is it is so important for Olivia. You know, so yes. we are watching basically her, we don't know it as we're watching it, but we're watching her like, for lack of a better word, villain origin story. And yeah. that moment is, you know, a, a lot, season two opens with sort of this like steady chipping away at Olivia's faith and certainty that, you know, all of this is basically faded. And that moment of of Jennifer stabbing her and, and being left paralyzed at the bottom of that pool and then sort of the resulting power struggle with her brother, it, it is a huge turning point for her as well, because I think you know, it, along the way of her journey, it is a huge crisis of of faith and turning point for her in terms of the army of the 12 monkeys and her starting to go off on her own. And, you know, we don't know at the time that she'll ever recover, but it was as much as, you know, the striking woman was kind of this scary presence throughout the show. When you see her just kind of her body broken, lying at the bottom of the pool, like as much as I was thrilled that Jennifer got out of that situation and stood up for herself. It's also, you, I mean, I felt sorry for Olivia. I mean, it, I know, you yeah. know, so especially after finding out that Allison was pregnant and there were spiders down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So I love that scene for Jennifer, but I love that scene for Olivia too. And it's also just a preview of all of the great face-offs that we're going to have between Olivia and Jennifer to come. Yeah, that whole episode, though, is about conflicts between women. Yeah. I I love, 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 for whatever reason, I can't even fully explain it because in so many ways, it's just Jennifer being childish. But the contention between Jennifer and Cassie makes me so happy. Oh, gosh. It just cracks me up so hard how much Jennifer hates her for, like, (laughs) no real reason. (laughs) One of my favorite lines in that episode, though, is when they're in the car. And it's, it's great how Amanda Shul can just communicate so much with her face. Because there's so often that she doesn't, you know, respond back to Jennifer when she just looks out the window and is like, maybe every version of me thinks you're kind of a bitch. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good line. I mean, you know what actually would be fun is to watch that episode. Is it bo- yeah, Bodies of Water? And watch that and then watch the series finale. Because in both episodes, you have... Cassie 
the Cassie and Jennifer team up of having to face off against Olivia. In both episodes, you have Jennifer playing music from an iPod yep. to try and like, uh, and Olivia being like, wait, this is, this music is not according to my plan. <laughs> um, and, you know, like physical confrontations with Olivia. Yeah. The, it, it's actually, it's like a great, now when you watch it, you're like, this is a great preview of what's going to be the ultimate showdown. That's my favorite Jennifer plan of just like play loud music until it it freaks them out and then you can do the next part. Yes, Jennifer's always harnessing pop culture. (laughs) Stenzi from Twitter says that their favorite moment is Ethan's return to Titan cocked and loaded in his effort to save his parents, Cassie and Cole. The moment is priceless and had me yelling at the TV. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it did. It was epic. (laughs) I mean, there's no other word for it. Um, Dramatic as hell. Just, I mean, it's just, it looked like a big blockbuster movie. It was amazing. And I think, honestly, like, the best uh, Cole's line, I think he just basically goes, holy shit. And that's pretty much, (laughs) yep, (laughs) that pretty much sums it up. And I love that moment, too, because sort of throughout the series, whether it's the season one finale or that moment, the season three finale, or the end of the series, what Olivia never... Olivia's plans always fall apart is she just doesn't take into account sort of the power and the strength of people loving each other. Yeah. And, you know, you get a preview of that in the season one finale where she thinks fate is the most powerful force that there is. Um, And that moment is sort of that, that thread that kind of runs through the whole series. Um, You know, a son coming back for his parents, like it was epic. (laughs) (laughs) definitely when he takes his arms out of that jacket it's just like and here we go our next comment is from peter yard hannah's death and the release of the virus so heartrending a huge reveal with high emotions you know this this is a scene that has very little i mean when we're talking about hannah actually dying and cassie dropping the vial there's very little dialogue Mm mm-hmm it's pretty much focusing on the actors' faces and, you know, the camera work and sort of like spinning around as Cassie's dropping the vial. And I think for me, and we haven't actually mentioned it yet, but the music, the music yeah. is, I mean, all throughout the show, but particularly in the fourth season, the music. Oh, season four is next level. Season four is one of my favorite soundtracks, like, of all time and mm-hmm. certainly on television i mean i can only think of really like lost or alias where i noticed music so much and that i mean you have juxtaposed this moment of hannah making the ultimate sacrifice for her son and cole's realization and then it's especially now as we're going back and watching season one that it was cassie that dropped the vial is just it's just devastating it is. It just is like everything, everything, the entire person that she was and everything she was fighting for. And that at the end of the day that it was her, it's just, you know, and it's also just, you feel this sense of foreboding as she's looking at Cole holding his dead mother in his arms that, that this red forest argument might be becoming persuasive. At least I felt that at the end of the scene, like, Oh God. <laughs> So, yes, such a good moment. Yeah, and I know that it was um, Verdant Dreaming on Twitter. She did a Tumblr post and just made one of the 
the most interesting points that I had seen about this whole aspect of, of Cassie being the one to do it, which is that, you know, her primary identity when we meet her is a doctor and the first and oath that a doctor takes is do no harm. Mm -hmm. And she's actually the one that ends up like in, you know, in theory, destroying 7 billion people. Right. And then Verdant made that great point for dreaming that then Cassie has to go back. And she has yes. to go back as a doctor. And for at least a, a long period, like a few years, but I mean, we're not really clear as to like, I, I'm assuming until she died, she has to live out that whole cycle of dying at the CDC, um, has to live with knowing that all of this, all of these deaths and misery are be because of what she did. Right. And, and, you know, she knows it's ultimately going to work out, but during that time she still has to sit there. And as a virologist know that all of this death and destruction was, can be traced back, you know, yes yeah. and no, but something to, that she did. Um, and how Devis like what I just can't even fathom the burden. Yeah. And that's also when they came back and, and did a nod to the movie. Cause of course it was, uh, it was them that released it in the movie as well. Yeah. So our next favorite moment is from Carmen Medina on Twitter. I've had such a tough time deciding which 12 monkeys moment is my favorite that I've waited until the last half hour to send this time is <laughs> almost up. So to speak, the series truly has so many special moments, some that have already been mentioned, which makes it so difficult to decide. You all said that the finale was off limits, but if the finale counts as 411, then I'd like to choose a 410 scene. I, I love that. You found the loophole. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the one where Cole proposes to Cassie on the beach, telling her that whatever time he has left is hers. And when she tells him that it's not enough, he reminds her that the sun is beautiful because it sets, that endings give life meaning. Um, and we, she has, she goes on, but let's just stop right there. Um, <laughs> it's a lot. That seems a lot. Um, I might've, I, I might've watched that scene a few times. I also just couldn't, I feel like one of the things being somebody that just really appreciates when television shows or, or film, particularly genre or science fiction, don't view romantic love as something cheesy or that they want to you know, that quote unquote serious shows don't do romance because I mean, it's for me, for a lot of people, it's part of the human experience. And so right. I don't really, if you want to paint all different aspects of the human experience, I, I don't understand why you should be embarrassed about showing two people being in love with each other. But it was, I found that scene incredibly moving. Um, and I really loved, it felt at the time thinking that things were probably going to end in a tragic way. I was really appreciative that they kind of gave us that moment. I feel like that moment was for the audience as much as it was for Cassie. Yes. But the the way that they then elevated it to not only be about those two people, but thematically thinking about a sunset and thinking about that, that when things are fleeting in life, that's what makes us love them harder. Mm-hmm which I think is something Jennifer says at another point in the series. It's just, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, the way it was shot, but also just the words. It was, it was just a really, really beautiful scene. So Carmen goes on to say, if I can't choose that moment because it's in 410, <laughs> 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 then I'd say the one in 409, when Cole splinters back after Hannah gives her life for him, a mother sacrificing herself for her son as he kneels down in front of a wheelchair bound Jones with his mother's, 
her daughter's blood on his hands and takes her hands. He is suddenly a grandson comforting his grandmother. And all the moments that they share become so much more in that instant in the realization that they had always been family. It brings so much more weight to their interactions throughout the series. Rewatching with a friend for the first time, I had to restrain myself from shouting, Grandma, when Cole hugs a young Jones near the end of Paradox. I'm Aww. so glad that I know, but I'm so glad someone else is always like, but it's his grandmother. Because <laughs> I feel like that's constantly what's going through my mind when I'm watching. But I mean, I that scene, again, and it's something that both, both Barbara Sakawa and Aaron Stanford both do so well throughout the series, both generally and with each other are all of these scenes where the acting is just in their faces and there's yeah. not even any dialogue. It's so powerful. And Jones's little like, uh, like there's like yeah. tears in their eyes and she knows and he knows and she, they also know what they mean to each other, but there's no words. And it somehow is even more powerful because of that, it's just, I think I was just watching basically like crying with my mouth hanging open. <laughs> it was just so good. <laughs> seems right. <laughs> it looks like we had two people say this one um, at Indigo Skyla and Carly Stoddard, both on Twitter. Um, Cole's Paradox was one of my favorites. Gives me chills every time. So that was in uh, 112 when they essentially paradox him which served a few purposes one it was super cool <laughs> two it um it kind of cured him in a way of the uh, side effects of the splinter injections made him able to uh travel again looked really cool <laughs> looked really cool it was um the imagery of it was very and deacon makes a joke about it later calling him time jesus mm -hmm. but it was very kind of um just kind of the way he puts his arms out and the way he lifts up kind of not quite crucifixion but certainly resurrection mm -hmm. and then sort of being i mean essentially reborn right because cole's left on the ground his clothes have been like blown away and so the imagery is very much like a resurrection rebirth which to me is like the whole idea, what this story does is so interesting to me in, in that, you know, it, it, in a very meta way, it calls out that Joe, I mean, that, that James Cole is sort of like this chosen one time Jesus, but he's actually, he is and he isn't, right? Like it subverts right. the whole chosen one. So they play into that, you know, season four opens with the medieval, like alpha primary being, you know, saying the name James or, or leading into chorus saying James Cole. And you're like, oh my God, these people, even in like, you know, the 12th century are saying the name James Cole. And so it kind right. of plays into these like chosen one, like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings type epic stories where you have somebody who is like the chosen one, but except that he's not <laughs> because he's, right. he's actually, there's nothing I mean, other, this isn't like, G Cole is my favorite character. So this isn't to, in being derogatory, but there's nothing, there's no like special powers, special about him. He is a creation of everything that Jones did to create time travel. And he is in fact the problem. Right. So it's, it's sub like taking this whole idea of the chosen one and turning on its head, but then it turns it on its head again, because ultimately it's only Cole who can make that self-sacrifice to fix things. So it's really interesting to me how it plays with this sort of chosen one 
story archetype that we've all grown up with in so many different stories and folktales, but it turns it all on its, on its head. And yet it makes that self-sacrifice at the end, almost more meaningful and, and also more relatable, I, I think, because he's not somebody who's got like a special power, like Luke Skywalker or something like that. Yeah. And one of the things that's cool about that is even though, like you said, he's the only one that can do certain portions of it are the amount of people that have to choose to go back and finish timelines and do things in such a way so that he's able to do that. Right. You know I mean? Jennifer, Cassie, Deacon, the, the way we see him at the end, he has to start all over and do the entire thing again. Right. It's crazy. You know, so all these people have to choose to go back and keep those timelines intact. If anybody was, you know, was not on board for that, then we wouldn't have the ending that we had. Right. Yeah. I mean, it does have those elements of like, you know, everybody has an important role to play, like so many stories that we love. But yeah, yeah, everyone just has so much agency and importance in the whole fabric of the story and pulling it off. But yeah, so they, but that is a great scene, because they're definitely like playing with that kind of imagery um, and setting us up with sort of, I think for the, you have a little bit of, you know, his names in the recording and people seem to know his name, but I feel like that was just also just a really cool scene just visually. Oh, except it's kind of traumatic on, you know, looking back because you know that Hannah was standing across the street. Uh, I don't want to, uh, are we going to open up that can of feels? <laughs> no, it's just, just a little cracked. Oh man, <laughs> Hannah being there for so many of those scenes in Paradox. I, it's going to be probably a two-hour podcast, just to warn you guys, when we get to that episode. So that takes us to Len Blake 20. Jennifer's performance for Hitler was hilarious. Yep. And I love, I love that we, you know, we've had a lot of, you know, intensely emotional or just visually cool scenes, but this moment was just, I mean, if there were any justice in the world and the Emmys paid attention to if to genre shows that aren't don't happen to be on HBO. Yeah. Emily Hampshire would have a supporting actress Emmy nomination for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. This not only is so absurd that she's singing <laughs> pink to Hitler and that Hitler is, you know, he I likes lo- it. <laughs> he likes it. I love that we never see his face. Like that's just perfect. But we see the back of his head and he gets into it. And then everyone else in the crowd. Oh, well, if Hitler's into it, I guess we'll be into it. <laughs> but it also is the soundtrack for my, I mean, I, I watched this episode maybe about three weeks late because I was out of the country when it aired. So I don't know what sort of the discussion around the Cassie in the uh, dominatrix outfit was, but I, as a woman watching it, in the summer of 2018, where there was a lot of things going on sort of in the world, feeling like how women are portrayed or discussed um, in the world is was a, a particularly sensitive. This was my favorite feminist moment on TV in 2018, was Jennifer Goins singing, I'm not here for your entertainment, while Cassie <laughs> is in a dominatrix outfit and using it, using that sex appeal to mow Nazis down. <laughs> it was my, and I don't know if that's a controversial statement or not, because I don't know how other people reacted to that scene, but I loved it. And I like fist pumped because I, it was just that, the, that line of that song with Cassie doing that and Jennifer singing upstairs is just iconic. It was so great. I mean, talking about using, uh, you know, flipping the uh, sexuality trope on its head. Right. Exactly. I mean, I don't know if some people thought that that was, I, I don't, 
I don't know. But like, I, I love that it was like subverting it and using it to like take down Nazis. It was awesome. And clearly like her idea, her choice to do it. And then that line that like, you know, I'm not here for your entertainment when a woman is dressed up like that. It was just <laughs> so good. I loved it. Okay, so we also have a reply from uh, Matilda on Twitter, and I do apologize if I pronounce that incorrectly. It's M-A-T-H-I-L-D-E, and they said their favorite uh, moment was 305 causality, and it actually chose the entire episode because it's where Team Splinter goes back to steal the map in the auction. And, oh man, I know that one's such, that's such a big episode for us too. It reminds me so much of a leverage episode, which makes me so happy because it's just like if you just planted a leverage episode in the middle of a sci-fi series. And yet, because of all the setup at the beginning with uh, Jennifer, you know, hatching the plan and Olivia (laughs) mimicking her and all of those things, it actually just fits in so well with the mythology. I love it. Yeah, it is. I, and it is our first Cassie Cole, Jennifer Deacon time travel team up, right? Yep. That mm-hmm. four, which is going to become, sadly, until Ramsey comes back in the end, our core like time travel team splinter. But sometimes they're against each other. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like <laughs> that. Yes, they will be fighting each other and Hannah will sometimes join them. But they... The way that episode, even in like the smallest details, that's a huge episode in terms of obviously Deacon and Jennifer's friendship. But it begins even with at the beginning when Jennifer's making her sort of mission pitch and Deacon just sort of basically with his hand is like, here we go. And just leans back (laughs) to enjoy (laughs) Jennifer being Jennifer. It is an episode that, you know, the costumes are great. You've got what I assume are like two different versions of Madonna, right? Like Jennifer is more um, like a virgin Madonna and Cassie's more like desperately seeking Susan Madonna. But you've got obviously like hilarious costumes and uh, leaning into like so much humor. The security guards are hilarious, but there's also just a lot of really poignant moments, whether it's Cassie and Cole talking about sort of nature versus nurture and why their son is the way he is, or Deacon and Jennifer and Deacon talking to Jennifer's father. And I feel like he's talking as much about his own father um, as he Mm -hmm. is hers or Jennifer facing her father at the end. It's there's, there's a lot of emotional weight to an episode that is also just so much fun to watch. It's just a really special hour of TV. Absolutely. Our next comment is from Mary Wallace. There are a lot of favorites for me, but I think the scene by the fire and lullaby is my favorite. They, uh, Cassie and Cole, finally address all the things that change between them and Cole's guilt for making her into what she is. And Cole all but tells her he loves her. Yeah, I also have a lot of feelings about this scene. (laughs) It... It is, it seems like that, and I feel like we'll probably be a broken record talking about this as we go on with the show, but it seems like that that I think set this show apart because it lets characters have these quiet moments to clear the air and talk about what's motivating them and talk about their conflict out loud. And that conversation, as we're rewatching season one, it stretches all the way back to sort of Cole feeling guilt for what happened to Cassie's life and how it changed her and Cassie claiming her agency and Mm -hmm. drawing a line between things that he did and choices that she made. But also in season two, I feel like that was sort of 
finally breaking the ice that had been between them. It, it feel it felt more of a, you know, cold telling the story about the uh, blanks and two ways that you can look at whether something was a miracle or something was just chance that the ammunition um, wasn't live. Right. But that kind of humor between them, it kind of breaks the ice and, and you remember what they used to be like in season one when sort of the banter between them and the joking around was, was, was much easier. And, and that's what gets them to a point to be able to say those kind of more emotionally raw things out loud. And then of course, you know, they splinter to interrupt <laughs> any <laughs> resolution. And then we get the scene at the end of the episode, which is also one of my favorites. But yeah, it was, it was a really, really great, really, really great scene. And, and one of those kind of quiet scenes that just lets characters talk about what's going on in their heads. It's also neat how they utilize their uh, Groundhog Day episode trope to provide this quiet moment because they're literally just sitting there like waiting for time to reset. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like Cassie and Cole in this little bottle episode of their own where they're stuck with each other. And so they're forced, which are some of my favorite episodes in all of TV is when characters are forced to be with each other and have to talk about those uncomfortable things out loud. And yep. it's interesting because for Cassie and Cole, a lot of times one or the other is so mission focused, understandably, that it is only when they are stuck, you know, in a time loop or stuck in 1958, that they allow themselves to have those conversations. And now we are going to play uh, Megan from Twitter, who is going to be joining us later in our rewatch on the pod, her favorite moment. Okay, so this is Megan, I, I guess. I'll just say Megan, since this might be going on the pod. I don't know. Hope your editing skills are A+. plus. So this is to answer the question about the favorite moment outside of the finale. And because I love and adore CC, I, I have to pick, well, and myself, but, you know, I, I'm kind of trying to make Tina cry, like, no lie is when Cassie goes back to see her mom and she brings with her the uh, copies of the Word of the Witness. You know, uh, she wants her mom to take a look and basically to comfort her or to tell her, to direct her, to get wisdom from her mother about her son. And I'm just speaking off the cuff here, but the moment is just so... Amazing. And I really hope I don't get cut off because I have a lot of feelings. On one, it's, it's amazing because it's, it's the only time that I can think of that Cassie asks for something for herself. Cassie is a character who gets over the course of the seasons. Everything is taken away from her. From the life that she starts with in season one to the life that she builds in the future, to the life that she builds in the past. Like, Cassie has, like, three or four different lives that she builds over the course of these, the series, and they all get stripped away and taken from her until it's not even, like, a life that's cohesive that gets taken from her. It starts to become people, and at the end it's, you know, her son, and it's Cole, and she has to give up Cole, you know. Anyway, so... This comes kind of before the end, and she asks for something, and this is all that she asks for, is that she wants to go to say goodbye to her mother. And in doing so, she wants to seek counsel from her mother. And she also, and it's just this really 
amazing moment of and so smartly done because we get to see the familial line between Katarina, Cole, and Ethan. Like that very that side of the family is very well emphasized. But with giving Cassie this moment, we get to see how excited her mother, Grandma Rayleigh, is. Look, Google, that saucy little goodbye is not going to shut me up. <laughs> so we get to see how excited Grandma Rayleigh is by something that she doesn't even know, but that her grandson broke. And you can just see subtextually, it's almost apparent on the screen to me, how much Ethan does take from the Rayleighs, this love of art and of culture, of music, of linking, like, references across time. And Cassie's mother understands it. She understands her grandson and what is going on. She sees the pain and she sees the brilliance and she can communicate that to Cassie because she's outside of the, in the very, like, motherly, wise woman um, wisdom sort of way. And it's just such a beautiful generational moment. It's such smart storytelling because it includes Cassie's family into Ethan's life and into Cassie's life again. And it, and Cassie gets, like, two things on it, back from it. She gets this goodbye with her mother and then she's able to even look after her younger self by rectifying a moment in time that she regrets. And it's, it just hits the viewer so hard because none of us can go back in time and fix the things, even the small things that we regret. But Cassie gets to, and it's just this real powerful moment of of looking at how parents affect us, how grandparents affect us, how legacy and lineage and even genetics, you know, like Grandma Rayleigh never meets Ethan, but still there's this like kind of almost psychic sort of genetics that connects them. And, you know, it's just a gorgeous moment. I cry all the time when I watch that and... I think it's smart writing. It's delicate writing. Yeah, and that would be my favorite moment outside. I mean, there are a lot of good moments in the show, obviously, but I think that's the one that really speaks to me and just packs so many layers in such a short, like, 10-minute kind of threat, like, scene. So uh, that's mine. And this is Megan signing off. <laughs> uh. <laughs> This, um, this, yeah, good job, Megan. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Megan. Thanks for, we, we had to, we had to pause it for a second because you made us choke up. Yeah, this was a lot. <laughs> the idea that, I, I think one of the things that is, is maybe neat about this is Cassie doing something that she could have done earlier for herself but she's really going to do it for her son because nobody ever does that. I mean, you know, nobody ever just like takes a splinter <laughs> to, uh, to see an, a loved one who they no longer have. They no longer, um, you know, they, right. I, I did, you didn't, <laughs> damn you, Megan. Uh, right. You didn't have Cole going back so that he could see his father. Right. Or things. So Cassie allows herself that because she is facing, something that would be, you know, like, 
even worse than a parent's worst nightmare of losing a child, but being in some ways responsible for losing your child, right? Or not believing in your child's uh, ability to sort of change who they are or their destiny. It's really cool after this time, though, too, that she has that professional respect for her mom as well because I mean she was young enough that she doesn't know a lot about you know what her mom did or or I'm sure she went back and probably read some of her published stuff or whatever but she she wasn't necessarily directly involved you know in like her psychiatric practice or whatever but when it comes down to like trying under trying to understand you know this child that's hers but she's not able to raise and she's already seen so much of his future like the person that she trusts is is not just you know her mom on the level of like oh it's my mom but it's also her as a professional and i think that coming from two women even if even if it is two women in the same family and not having that like competition almost yeah. is actually something pretty uh rare no it's really powerful absolutely yeah. And I think the other thing that is, you know, so you have that on the level. I mean, it, it is absolutely her, her her respect for her mother's sort of professional insight. But also, I love that when you go back and watch it now, knowing sort of the the end and the and the theme of of not taking the moments that you have with the people that you love for granted and living in the now. I mean, uh, Kat, one of Cassie's biggest regrets is not going to the museum with her mother right before her mother died. Um, and so this is, uh, uh, Cassie gets a do-over and it's probably, you know, one of the most relatable things that happens in the show for the audience at home, because how many times did you let a moment like that slip by where you thought something else was more important and you wish you could go back and do something differently and spend that time with somebody that you love? Right. And so you know, for the reasons that Megan pointed out, that it's Cassie allowing her self to have that moment. It's tying together, you know, the beautiful piece of art that the word of the witness is and that Ethan creates, you know, obviously part of it is his talent as a, as a, as a pretty special primary, but also it, it ties back to her mother's talent and interest in art. Um, and so it goes a long way to humanizing Ethan at the point that you're thinking that he's the witness as well. Right. And I just think it's really hard to get through that. Uh, you know, let me know if you can get through that scene of seeing Cassie, little girl Cassie with her mother at the museum and not be kind of choked up <laughs> because it's a lot. <laughs> Our next comment um, was from Gilgamesh310 on Twitter. Both of Jennifer's songs are up there, but one rather underrated moment that I'll choose is the fight on the train in season three, where Cole warps a few seconds into the feature so that the two of them effectively fight Deacon. <laughs> <laughs> it must be like Deacon's worst nightmare to like have to deal with two Coles kicking his oh, ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that whole scene is so great because it... Like on the one hand is like, oh my God, like our heroes are fighting each other. Like this is terrible. Um, but kind of utilizing that whole like train cat and mouse game, but also just how kind of, you know, the season opened up with the messengers screwing with our heroes with those splinter suits. So to now have Cassie and Cole be the ones messing with Hannah and Deacon so expertly using those splinter suits and they're like the way that they're like, almost cocky with it like yeah. Cole's little salute at the end um it it's just I mean it it sucks that they're facing off against each other but it was also fun <laughs> just kind of fun to see them 
kind of copy um, and playing around with the splinter suits because the splinter suits are always awesome. And I miss well, them. Well, it flashes back to, to the first time we saw it, which is in 301 where Cole was fighting himself. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> yep. At which we get the, um, you know, the hand waving of the, how does this, like, what about a paradox? Well, this helps with that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. Good. It's fine. Fine by me. It's fine. Cool. It's special. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next response is from Chitterkins on Twitter. Uh, the fight between Cole and Cassie in 202, where he tells her that the only thing he did that changed the timeline was saving a life. I love that scene and embodies what the show is about to me. Yes, That's, that scene gives me chills. And again, so well acted, both in the dialogue. It is another scene where not only are they debating, Cole and Cassie are debating sort of their moral outlook, but also, again, having that conversation about what, what, what creates a person versus what are, what is a person's, like, what are Cassie's choices. But it frames sort of this, I think what I think we can conclude is the like an underlying theme of the show, which we talked a little bit about on our last podcast, that it's not, you know, that kind of mission statement from Cole, which he will then kind of battle out with Cassie and Ramsey just in what they view as which mission is a priority is taking sort of a, a more positive view rather than a nihilistic one. Right. And that killing isn't the answer. And, and a lot of times both on these do what it takes to survive shows, but also in the real world, taking that kind of more hopeful dance is often attacked as naive and, and, oh, well, that's nice, but that's not really what it takes. And so I think it's a really, it is sort of a, a, a mission statement for the show. And that scene where Cole saying that out loud is a theme that they're going to play with throughout the season. So whether it is that, showdown between killing the witness or trying to prevent a paradox in season two or trying to kill Ethan or save Ethan. Or, or again, they're going to have that argument at the beginning of season four, where it's about trying to find this sort of answer to the riddle or going after and trying to kill Olivia. So these kind of what's the best way to go about doing things? Is it trying to take somebody out um, or is it trying to achieve your goals through a more hopeful way. It's, it's a continuing debate. And that scene is a really powerful one that sort of frames it um, for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the the part though. And in, in the beginning of 202 is actually another time that the monologue is used and it's Cassie doing it. And, you know, recall like, where are you right now? Like somewhere you don't belong. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see how, um, Cassie's agency is something she clings to like as her protection because it's never one thing or the other. It's not, you know, 100% Cole's fault. This is who she became, but it's not 100% her choices either. You know, the things outside us influence us. Absolutely. So the idea that she clings so hard to that is just, it's interesting to me. It just shows like another element of her strength, but also her weakness because she doesn't want anyone affecting her. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the only thing that you can control, right? Right. Particularly, I mean, any of us, right? The choices we make, that's the only thing that we can control in our lives. But particularly for these characters that all these crazy things happening to them and moving around through time, the only thing that they can control are the choices they make. And and even that, even that is in question when you're in the context of a time travel show and how much do you have free will, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think there are some people that would certainly argue that whether the extent to which these characters have free will is like a subject of debate. 
Right. And now we'll go to Amy, or also known as Dark Amy, um, on Twitter. <laughs> um, we're going to hit her recording of her favorite message. Don't you forget about me. Sorry, I had to do that. Hey, guys, this is Amy. I'm Aim Nick Rob on Twitter, my Twitter handle. I am the mother of two smelly boys. I am a vodka enthusiast and lover of TV that makes me cry, which means I adore 12 Monkeys. And um, look, I honestly, I didn't really love it at first in season one because I am a huge, huge, huge fan of the movie. So I wasn't interested in a retelling so much of that story because it's that movie to me is really brilliant. But something about this series, once they freed themselves from the shackles of kind of paying homage to the original movie, really, really struck me. Um, Oh, that's my first um. And I just completely fell in love with it. And when thinking about what is my favorite moment... That was really difficult because, uh, A, you guys wouldn't let me pick something from the finale, and you suck for that. But, B, there are so many uh, moments, I think, that stand out. And, honestly, I know a lot of people are going to pick really emotionally resonant moments for them. Moments that make you cry, which I love. But I'm going to go with something a little different. Um, I'm going to go with... with, uh, Obviously, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a Deacon moment. It's going to be a Jennifer Goins moment um, in Die Glocke. Um, I don't know German, so if I pronounce that horribly, you'll have to forgive me. But when Deacon gives Jennifer the detonator to basically blow up the house that Hitler is in to kill Hitler, um, really struck out as a brilliant moment to me in a brilliant episode, which I get to talk about later on this podcast, that... Even in the midst of all of the drama and this beautiful time travel family drama, essentially, that they have these moments of levity, these moments that are just absurd, these absurdist really moments. Because, hey, if you had an opportunity to go back in time and kill Hitler, you would fucking take it. And I think it just really kind of encapsulates their friendship it's a symbol of their friendship that he the deacon knew that that was something that jennifer would be thrilled to do just ah oh. and then he he knew that in that moment and took that detonator and handed it to her when they were driving off in the car it was just it was surprising it was a surprising moment and it was just a tender moment of their friendship and i absolutely loved it It was just the exclamation point on what was already a very brilliantly done episode. So that has to be one of my favorite moments of 12 Monkeys, um, among many favorite moments. So I can't wait to come on the pod and discuss and digest that episode. Anyway, love you guys. God, that moment, that moment is just this show, isn't it? Like what other show would have, I mean, so many time travel shows and stories have played with this. What would you do? And would you kill Hitler as a baby and things like that? But the fact that they do it, but it actually has nothing to do with the reason why they're there. (laughs) And they just, 
total it's, side plot. Like, just like, whoops. Well, only in this show would killing Hitler be the side plot. Um, right. But they like they. It's one of those posit. Did they just freaking do that? Oh my god, they just did that. And that's that's coming off of Jennifer singing pink to Hitler. Yeah. Um, but you know that episode has so much tension and so much emotion, but there's so much humor and absurdity to it. And th- th- like my favorite thing. And we were just talking about this before in the 80s heist. But one of my favorite things on this show is when Deacon just sits back and enjoys Jennifer being Jennifer. And when he hands it to her and just smiles and sits back and the like almost demented glee on Jennifer's face (laughs) pressing the button is just... Oh my God, it's so good. I mean, and but like, he didn't even think about doing it himself, which is also huge. Right. It's like his gift to her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, rewatching that, particularly like with what's going on in the world, is satisfying on a, on a whole other level. But it's just such an absurd, absurd is like the only right word for it, like absurd in the best way. Yep. Okay. So our next comment is from Maria Foss. On Twitter. Okay. Favorite moment of, from the series, excluding the finale. It is, all caps, impossible to choose. There are dozens of memorable moments, but I think I can narrow it down to two. The first is the reunion between Hannah and Katarina at the camp of the daughters from season two lullaby. Everything about that is designed to play in the emotions. The expressions on the faces of everyone in the scene, the lighting, the warm glow of torchlight against the dark of the night, the spare yet evocative dialogue, but especially the music woven around the words of a German lullaby. So let's just stop there. Oh, God. I mean, (laughs) beautiful. Like, I mean, as if the scene weren't enough, Maria, that was beautifully written. It's, it's, yeah, a scene is a lot. When Hannah removes that scarf, and I mean, and it takes like 15 seconds, I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very, it's almost like ceremonial. Yes. And it's so much. When Joan, anytime Jones takes her glasses off, I'm like, oh, fuck, now I'm going to cry. Um, <laughs> she takes her glasses off, and the way she just touches her face, oh. it is. I mean, I, honest, I, I mean, Barbara obviously anchors that scene in its, again, so much acting without, without dialogue, but everyone in that scene, like, right, that, that scene is hard for, for Jennifer, right? I mean, she's yeah. in some ways turning over someone that she raised, but also the way that Cassie and Cole are being hit by sort of the magnitude and the emotion of what they've done. And they're almost like physically drawn to one another. I mean, there's just so much going on in that scene. It's, you know, I'm glad that Maria brought it up because it is one of the most powerful scenes in the whole show. It is truly. And that's all I can say. And then she went on to say, my second choice would be from season three's masks. The dance instruction scene between Cole and Cassie, which starts so sweetly silly, awkward, and bumbling, and ends up with their love and tenderness for each other laid bare. It was a beautiful transition from one state of being to the other, graceful as a waltz. Yes, I also have a lot of feelings about this scene. They, (laughs) it was, you know, season three is pretty dark and heavy for Cassie and Cole. And so you know, struggling with what your child is going to be and what makes them up and where that comes from and whether it comes from inside you or it is something that like as a parent, 
even though it is, of course, much more heightened and dramatic. And, and, you know, whether your son is the witness who's going to end the world. But it is something that, you know, parents and people in relationships struggle with. And so it's a really tough season. And so I think that scene was really important. It's, it's pretty much the only kind of light and just remembering that Cassie and Cole are two people that love each other scene during that season. And I think it was important and it was also just fun. You could exhale a little bit as the audience. It was really fun to watch Cassie be really terrible at pickpocketing um, and have to learn (laughs) how to pickpocket. Um, And then it's also always fun to watch Amanda Shul dance. Yeah. And, you know, be reminded like we often were more, more often in season one and season two, that there are a lot of things that Cole doesn't know how to do as a child of the apocalypse. And, you know, (laughs) dancing is one of them. And it was a great callback to when they dance in the episode, the keys in season one. So I enjoyed that scene a lot too. Last response from Twitter is at Verdant Dreaming. She uh, is the one who we mentioned earlier who wrote the meta on Tumblr all about kind of some some breaking down, especially of Cassie. Um, that link is on her Twitter. I definitely recommend anyone reading it. It was, it was incredible, truly well thought out. It was beautifully written. And also um, Chris Monfette from the writer's room on 12 Monkeys took the time to both encourage her to finish it, I think when she was feeling a little frustrated about writing, but then also yep. took the time to read it and just so incredibly nice. It really was, yeah. Really, 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 really nice when, you know, she's just writing sort of because she was moved by something and it was just that was really I think it meant a lot to her that was really nice absolutely so she did choose a moment from the finale but because of the uh, (laughs) events earlier in the week that I think she's very excited about and spazzed her out we're gonna let it slide so she said I've changed my mind 17 times since you asked but at this moment I think Cole's final initiate splinter sequence he developed into a wise-ish compassionate hero it was a muted but powerful moment, much like his development over the series. That was, wow. It was just so, because you know what? It's so understated. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say it like she does. There's no worrying. There's no, you know, anything going on. Or like Jones did, I mean. There's no, none of the hubbub, none of the, none of the crazy, none of like, are, are these, you know, settings all correct? He just initiates butter sequence and just punches that button one last time and goes to get in and it's ugh, it's a lot ah well and he picks up jones's glasses i mean uh that it is if that had been i mean it would if we hadn't gotten the epilogue it, we would still be talking about the shows that that you know but that and the fact that he has basically had everyone that means anything to him systematically stripped away, right? Mm -hmm. One by one by one by one, like Deacon's gone and then Jennifer and then Cassie and then Jones. And he is alone and has to face erasing himself alone and still chooses to do it. And I think ultimately as much as I love truly love all of these characters. Like I can say that pretty much like all of the main characters in the Told Monkeys are some of my favorite TV characters of all time. But I think that moment of sort of throughout season four, but it culminates with this. And I think it's sort of the culmination of his journey. Even the, the fact that Cole faces what he has to do with so much grace and wisdom, and he's almost helping everyone else in his life accept it. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, he, he seems to accept it more quickly than everybody else around him. And you can almost like, I can almost think of it as like people in my life who have had, you know, a terminal illness and, and, and they, and it kind of reaches a point where it's more that they're trying to help the people around them accept it. And he's putting on a brave face for a lot of people. And he's kind of like the hopeful cheerleader, you know, like when Jones is like, Oh, if I hadn't have invented time travel and he's like, save it. <laughs> We're going to have that speech <laughs> later. But right now we have things to do. I mean, there's just a lot of grace and courage and that scene pretty much sealed, you know, sort of the bravery and the sort of like calm acceptance of what is a, as the show says, a fate worse than death um, mm-hmm. and doing it for other people is just sort of sealed the deal that he's like one of my favorite characters of all time. There was nobody left there to force him to do it. Right. It was his choice. It, it really, everybody at that point, whether by choice or not, was gone. So it's it's very different, I think, when there's, you know, five people standing there going, get in, versus, I mean, he was there by himself. He could have just walked away. Right. I mean, he's ultimately only accountable to himself. Right. And, and Cassie gave him uh, not only the out of the Red Forest, but earlier on an out of, what if we just stop the countdown and then we live here, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he had a lot of outs um, and yet he does it anyway. And the way that it was filmed and the way that it was acted, it is understated, but it's just incredibly moving. Thank you all so much. These were wonderful responses. They're so fun to discuss. Um, we really appreciate you all taking the time to submit them. Um, it was just fun to do this little mini pod to kind of kick off our wider discussion um, of celebrating this wonderful show. We will be back next week um, with our next regular podcast. Um, We will be covering episodes 102 through 104, Mentally, Mentally Divergent, Cassandra Complex, and Atari. See you soon.